The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. My aim this morning from this text is that God might be pleased to give us two graces. One is that he might instruct our prayers from this prayer. And the second is that he might grant us power to increasingly live our lives in accord with this prayer. So two aims. One, Lord, shape our prayers. And aim number two is, Lord, make us to be like these people, believers, at Colossae, that Paul, that Paul, the, the apostle, prays for. So let me pray toward that end. Father in heaven, sovereign God, gracious Father, we pray that this prayer of Paul's might truly become our prayer for ourselves and for one another, for our church. And I also pray that you would enable this prayer, these things that Paul prays for, this reality of the gospel fleshed out in our lives, would, would really become that, a reality in our lives, in our fellowship with one another as saints and beloved brothers and sisters in your church here in Minneapolis. And so... For our experience of the fullness of Christ and the fullness of the gospel and for our joy therein, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, make it so. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to thank our global partner last week, Ryan, for his message as we focused on the first part, the first section of Paul's prayer here in, in uh, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Ryan focused on verses 3 through 8. It was a prayer of thanksgiving of Paul uh, to God for the Colossian believers. And uh, in Ryan's sermon, he both faithfully preached the text and he, for me, he embodied the text. He was thankful to God for you and for us. And it was a sweet and a beautiful thing. Well, Paul's prayer continues. You, mean, you might not know this. Paul's prayer is this long run-on sentence that ought not surprise you uh, from verse 3 to verse 20. So we're taking three weeks to get through one sentence of the Apostle Paul. So section 1, prayer of thanksgiving to God for the, for the Colossian believers. Section 2 is what I'm focusing on today. This petition, uh, what, what does Paul pray for the Colossian church for the believers. And then next week, Pastor John will finish the prayer by focusing on this third section, which actually is a spillover of the last part of this week's text that calls us to be a people joyfully giving thanks to God for the redemption that are, that's ours in Christ. And Pastor John will unpack that last section of the prayer in which Paul just goes ballistic in worship for the supremacy of Christ. All one sentences, all one sentence, three whacks at it. Uh, so now our middle portion is this prayer for the Colossian believers. And uh, here Paul 
begins in verse 9. He says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. So apparently, ever since he heard of their becoming believers and, and uh, Epaphras establishing a church in, in uh, Colossae, ever since we heard, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. There's something that they need that Paul has this burden to keep on praying for, keep on praying for. So what is that? And uh, that will form the first question. What does Paul pray? Question number one. What does Paul pray? It's there in the rest of verse nine. That they may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul prays that the believers might be filled with all the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, more questions now. So which will is Paul praying for? Which will of God is he praying that the believers would know? I'll give you two options. Option one, this is a prayer for the believers to know God's will in the sense of his unchangeable providential will. That's the will that Paul prays about in Ephesians 1, 11, when he says, We have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. That's the will by which it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus. Is that the will that he wants us to know in this? Is that what he's praying for here? Or is it God's will of command? It's sometimes called God's will of command. Uh, That is the commands that God gives to his people to obey, to follow after. Jesus, remember in the Great Commission, teaching them to obey everything I command. That's a different kind of will. Uh, That's the kind of will that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you may abstain from sexual or immorality, and the text goes on. So, which will is Paul praying for? I think it's fairly straightforward. He's praying for knowledge of the will of God in the sense of his will of command. He wants the believers to know what God is calling them to do and to be. He, elsewhere, he talks about God's providential will, but that's not what he's praying for here. He has this burden that the church, the believers, would know God's will and do it. And do it. So note that I take this as a, as a helpful piece here. Verse 9 goes on to say that you know, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, in, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why does he add that? Well, I think because, you know, there are false teachers in this church and they're promoting a... Uh, uh, a version of a version of a false view of Christianity that in which they promise a fullness, a better than the apostolic gospel that came to them through Epaphras. Uh, 
And so Paul, said, Paul adds this, I want you to know God's will with all wisdom and understanding. I'll tell you how that landed on me. It's like, it's like a qualifier. It, it's a, here are the teachings of Jesus. Now I pray for wisdom and understanding as you think and pray and live that out. I'll say it in another way. Um, I, th- I, say this to, uh, I say this to parents and I say this to church planters. Um, to the planters. It's not enough to have thought through all the biblical commands about the church and, and leadership and, and have the perfect constitution and, and have the perfect vision statement that doesn't flesh out into life. The other way I say it to parents, uh, um, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, co- collect all the texts that you can about, about parenting. It doesn't automatically flesh out into godly parenting. But we need wisdom and spiritual understanding. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Okay, I got it. Wisdom, spiritual understanding. I've I've used the image of, seems to me like, like living by faith in accord with God's word is is like driving a car. Like, you know, we have, we have the teachings of Scripture to, to guide us and, and be like a compass for where we're going, but, but we don't get to just, like, stick our knee on the wheel and just, okay, everything's... Or, you know, I, I could use the, the self-driving car. You know, it's, it, the Christian life is not like a self-driving car. You enter all the biblical texts in it, and then you just sit back. <laughs> Even those things hit things, buses, trucks... <laughs> But no, it's like wisdom and understanding is, I I see it as like this steering, keeping God's word, and we have to pay attention, we have to pray, and we're totally dependent on God's help as we live this Christian life and and walk this way, drive along this path, steering, uh, no coasting, but always dependent on God. God, how would you have me love my wife today? There's not a verse that says what to do after supper today. So that's what I see in this this phrase, with all wisdom, all spiritual wisdom and understanding is the prayer to know God's will. We would know it, and knowing God and knowing his commands, we would flesh it out with wisdom and understanding. There is an Old Testament allusion that I, I want to mention here briefly. And, and I'll say it this way. This wording here, uh, filled with knowledge of his will, with spiritual wisdom, understanding, those words echo the Greek Old Testament in at least three places. And I'll do this really quickly. You don't need to turn there because you don't have a Greek Old Testament. Um, Exodus 31, Exodus 35, and 1 Kings. Now, each of these texts described, describes a filling of, of God's Spirit and with, with wisdom and, and understanding and knowledge and skill to do what God is calling them to do. So there's the overarching sentence. Now here, Exodus 31. When it was time to actually construct the tabernacle of God, in Exodus 31, God said to Bezael, 
See, I have called by name Bezael, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship to get it done. And then also in Exodus 35, a little further, again about Bezael. See, the Lord has called by name Bezael, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God and skill and intelligence and knowledge and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. Let me add the other one, 1 Kings 7. Then in 1 Kings 7, these words are popping up again when it was time to build Solomon's temple, the first temple, to be constructed in Jerusalem And a man essential to the building of the temple came from Tyre, whose name was Hiram. And I just have to tell you, that's my middle name. I never get to celebrate my name. Uh, (laughs) And here's how Hiram is described. He was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making any work in bronze. And he came to King Solomon and did all his work. So why would Paul echo those words? I think it's because he wants the believers to know that God has all that they need in the gospel of Christ, in the apostolic teaching, to to know his will and enable them to do it. In other words, I could say it in the context of the false teaching, you don't need this new special philosophy to do the will of God. God will enable you to do it by his spirit, with his filling and enablement. Okay, question number two. Why does Paul pray what he prayed there? Uh, Why does he pray for this this, uh, wisdom and understanding, this knowledge of God? Why does he pray this? He goes on to say in verse 10, well, so that, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him. Get it? Pretty straightforward. Be filled with with, uh, knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So the prayer for knowledge is so that there would be a life that would accord with the knowledge. The the word walk, I I love this, this Hebrew concept, Hebrew idiom of walking to describe the life of faith, you know, the life of faith being this, you know, we live in the present, right? I mean, our whole lives are always in the present. And so the, the idiom is, is, I think, really cool that we want to walk by faith, like live in the present by faith and, and in obedience. So this word walk here is that Jewish idiom, you know, it's, it's all over the Bible. Uh, Psalm 86, teach me to, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may Walk in the truth. Uh, so what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It means it, it, Paul's not denying the gospel. I mean, it has to be said. He's not saying live in a manner worthy of the Lord in order that God would give you his grace in the gospel. Live in a manner worthy of God's forgiveness and therefore he'll forgive you. That's not what he's saying at all. That is not it at all. 
No, I mean, look no further than the beginning of the letter to the saints, to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Or verse 12, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of saints in the light. He has redeemed us. We don't do stuff to qualify, to make ourselves worthy of God's grace. That's not what he's saying. Some people might understand it that way. That's why I just said what I said. Don't take it that way. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It means worthy in the sense of live a life fitting or suitable of the Lord, suitable to a people who embraces Jesus as Lord. Live a life in accord with that. I thought about two illustrations. When a when a chief of police is ticketed for drunk driving, he's acting in a manner unworthy of the office. Why? Because a police chief's job is to uphold the law. Or when a, a parent deliberately neglects a child, they are acting unworthy of being a parent. Why? Because... The, the calling of a parent is to lead and care and protect their children. So, go one more step. So, when the police, of, the chief of police acts that way, or the parent acts that way, uh, they show themselves unworthy. It doesn't mean that they're not a parent or the chief of police. What it means is they're not acting in accord with their calling, with their roles. That's the kind of worthy that, that Paul is talking about. So he has this burden for the church that we would live, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be consistent. Such living he calls fully pleasing to God. Fully pleasing to God. You know, I wonder how you might think of God's pleasure toward you. I wonder how you think about it. I mean, clearly, I'm, I'm going to say two things that don't cancel each other out. God is pleased with you in Christ. God is always pleased with his son. He's well pleased with his son. And because we are in Christ in the new covenant, by the promise of the gospel, he is well pleased with us. God has made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sees us as righteous in Christ, and he's pleased with us and will be pleased with us in that sense forever and ever. There'll never be condemnation for us who are in Christ. He'll never turn away from doing us good. He's never gonna, he's never gonna say to his blood-bought children, his blood-bought people, that was disgusting, you're out of the family. People do that. God doesn't do that to his blood-bought children. Well-pleased in Christ. And yet, God is displeased with us when we sin. Can you, can you hold those in tension? 
God is displeased with us when we sin. Displeased. Think about it. Here, I'll give you a verse. Ephesians 4.30. Before I say that, it would be a perversion of the gospel if I didn't say what I'm saying right now. Ephesians 4.30. You can turn there because I'll I'll just poke at a few things here. Ephesians 4.30. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve is not a happy word. Grieve is not pleased. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And, And drawing from this immediate context, we might say, what, what grieves the Holy Spirit? What displeases God the Holy Spirit? Well, speaking falsehood rather than the truth, verse 25. Nursing our anger and giving an opportunity to the devil, verse 26. Stealing rather than giving, verse 28. Speaking corrupt words to one another rather than words that build up and give grace, verse 29. And letting bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice displace kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness reflective of the gospel. Those are things that grieve the Holy Spirit, displease God. God's not pleased when we disregard Him and disregard His word and His commandments and treat Him as if He doesn't matter. God's not pleased with that. Thought of an illustration we, uh, <laughs> we watched two of our grandchildren all week. And uh, we're gonna, we slept better last night and we'll sleep really good tonight. But we had them all week from, from uh, Tuesday, was it? Tuesday? And uh, so I'm working on this text and you, know, you can't help but see these illustrations when you're living life. Um, so at one point, I said, get your pajamas on, it's time for bed. <laughs> And uh, I'm not naming anybody here. Get your pajamas on. It's time for bed. And, you know, I didn't see it. You know, I didn't see it. Disregard, disobey, and just... You know. So, you know, you know what I did? <laughs> I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh. I showed displeasure. This was not... This was not displeasure. Like out of the family, not a loved, dearly loved, celebrated grandchild. This was this moment of, it actually comes from the loved, dearly loved place. (laughs) So all it took was, and I said the person's name, I'm not going to call him out. (laughs) Time to get your pajamas on. (laughs) And the pajamas were on, boom, and we were in bed. So, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So there is a displeasing of the Lord that is reflective of the beautiful, happy, loving state of grace that we're in relationship with God, and when we sin, that happy relationship with God is strange such that God 
is displeased, and as children, we so want to get back to his pleasure. That's how I see this text talking about fully pleasing to the Lord, not earning salvation, but enjoying the happy relationship of love and trust and obedience and awareness of God our Father as our Father who loves us and will never turn away from doing us good, even when we displease him as blood-bought children. He wants us back. Remember the prodigal son? He even runs out to bring us back. The third question I have here is, what would it look like if God answered this prayer? What would it look like? So, that we'd be filled with all knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to, mac- a, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What would that look like? Paul goes to, to, the picture, to paint the picture with, with four participles. For present tense participles, meaning present tense, ongoing walk, ongoing life. Uh, if you don't know what a participle is, here's a simple way, ing words. Verbs that end in ing. Do you, you see them there? Uh, bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, giving thanks. That's what it looks like. That's what the answer to the prayer looks like. And, and here's the, I got to this point in the sermon and, and I thought, I can't do this as a list. I can't, I can't, I can't just kind of stoically say, Paul says, one, two, three, four. I, I couldn't detach myself and us from it. I mean, you, you know how to do this. Um, what I'm going to do. You know how to do this, I think. Um, you read your Bible and you mix it with prayer. You read your Bible and you pray, Lord, yeah, do that. May, may you give us grace to be that. Do that. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That, that's what was going on in me. So it's, this is not a list. This is a very sloppy section of a sermon probably never should be shown to a preaching class, um, by which I will very confusingly alternate between, here's what the text says, and Lord, make it so, make it so in us. I just could not back myself out of it. So it is the Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, but I cannot help but embrace it as God's prayer for us. So, Father in heaven, it's going to be all eyes open, okay? No, no head bowing. I mean, you can bow your head if you want to, but I'm going to keep my eyes open. Father in heaven, grant that we might live lives together worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that are fully, fully pleasing to you by, first participle, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. Lord, may, it, may we be a people who are engaged in all kinds of good good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in. 
Words that give grace and build others up. Deeds of kindness and glad generosity and need meeting and burden bearing. Uh, Keep us from being self-absorbed and empower us to all kinds of good deeds, to all, all kinds of people, but especially to those of the household of faith. That's the first part of Percival. But not only that does Paul pray, describing what this looks like. Father, grant that we might live lives together, worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that are fully pleasing to you by, second participle, increasing in the knowledge of God. Father, grant that we be a people who aim to understand and know you more and more and more as we will come to know you more and more and more forever. Grant a deep hunger for you, and I pray you'd satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Give us tastes of your goodness day in and day out. Cause us to thirst for you with a thirst that only you can quench. Cause us to hunger for you and satisfy us in, in measures day in and day out. Stab us awake if we're dull to th- our, our deadness to you and our ignorance of you. Don't let us sit there. Call us by your beauty and by your glory and by your goodness. Call us in to know you more. This is eternal life that they may know Jesus Christ. That they, know, may, they, that they may know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's what eternal life is, knowing God. Keep us abiding in you. May we grow in grace and knowledge of you. So that's number two. Grant that we live lives together worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and fully pleasing to you, God, by participle number three as well being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Paul piles up power words. I I don't know why I like power words. Maybe because one of the Greek ones is dunamis. You know, it's like dynamite. Um, He piles up these power words in this verse. You see him? Being strengthened, that's a power word. With power, well, that's a power word. According to his glorious might, that's a power word. Strength, power, might. It looks like God's power at work in our lives. Daily. In the walk. Power for what? Two things here. Power for endurance and power for... I, should, I, I left out a word. I don't know if you caught it. Power for all endurance... And the all works for patience as well. Power for all patience. Well, that sounds like a thing that we need power for. All endurance and all patience. The words on the one hand overlap, and on the other, I think it's right and fitting to stretch them apart a bit. Endurance, power to to stay in place in great suffering. Power to hold your position under attack 
Think of the military metaphor. Power to endure by faith in difficult circumstances. Power to go through an array of sufferings, I should say the array of sufferings that have or will make up our lives. Endurance, all endurance. Power for all endurance. The second, second thing here, second is patience. You know, power for all patience. What would that word add? I, I think it adds. I mean, if, if the first word, power for endurance, is, is hard circumstances, power for all patience is difficulty with people. It's a relational word. Power to have patience with people who disappoint you, people who test you, people who demand of you unfairly, people who irritate you, people who hate you and sin against you and make your life miserable. That's what we need power for. Power to be patient with them, especially toward other believers. And the fourth participle, so, so Lord, not grant not only that, not only the first three, but grant that we might live lives together as Bethlehem, worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that are fully pleasing to you by fourth participle. I pulled the little word joy into this participle. It, it could be with the former. I think it's, there's a good reason to pull it into verse 12. With joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So fourth participle, joyfully giving thanks. That we be a people whose walk is characterized by being a joyfully thankful people. May we never forget, Lord, the promises of the gospel that are ours. You have qualified us to share in the inheritance of all the saints in light. You have delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, and, and brought us in the kingdom of your beloved son. You have redeemed us. That's a slavery word. You have bought us back out of slavery to sin and set us free to live for you and to belong to you. And you've, you have granted us forgiveness of our sins. It's all right there in those, first couple, in those couple verses. So therefore... May we be marked as a people of joyful thanksgiving. I know people like this, and I think you do too. I mean, people even who are in, in great suffering and, and showing great endurance and patience, who, who out of their mouths come thanksgiving to God. Happy thanksgiving over and over again. This is what God is calling us to be, Bethlehem. So 
we're, we're talking, you know, as, as elders and thinking as a church about, about our purpose, our mission, our vision. One way to think about vision, and, and I'm not pretending that this is anything close to what, what you know, what, what will be the answer for this to the church, you know, in the months ahead. But all I'm saying is, is when you think of vision, like, vision, Lord, what would, what might the future look like, this vision? Like, if we could see the future, what would we see? What are you calling us to, to be? <laughs> I would say he's calling us to be a people who are filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, such that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, uh, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, and people constantly giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That would be a vision. I mean, whatever we come up with, that's going to be part of the vision. That we be this kind of people. And again, remember the the cool thing about those participles? Present tense. Ongoing walk. Father, may these things characterize us. When we look back or write our reports in five years, may the reports be echoes of these graces that are fitting of being people of the Lord and people who know your will, that we might, we might uh, bear fruit in every good work, show, show, live as people who know you and strengthen with power for endurance and patience and be an ever thankful people no matter our circumstances. So Lord, bring it about, I pray, for the glory of your name among us. And, and do, I pray, shape our prayers. Paul prays for this unceasingly for the believers. May it find its mark in us in our ongoing prayers for ourselves and for our church. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.